What is up, everybody? It's Jacobs, and I'm out here on episode 24 of the Bucks Leading Radio. Uh, it was a good Monday night. I uh, got on the phone with my guy Lamont, so we had a great conversation about the past couple games at the Raptors and Pelicans at home. Uh, we had a great talk about everything else kind of going on with the Bucks in the Eastern Conference, and it was an overall great conversation. So without further ado, hit the music. Today is a man, a myth, a legend. He is on the Twitter sphere as almost as crazy as a Sith Lord is. He's been on multiple different podcasts, produced a few different radio shows, been on a few TV shows even. His name is Lamont, and he is the man. Lamont, how we doing? Hey man, I can't complain, man. How about yourself? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, I was at the game yesterday. It was a tough, heartbreaking loss because I thought that Terry had that three in real time, but um, it's okay. The Bucks got a win in, the, in Toronto, which I'm always happy about. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I, I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think that they would. Um, I didn't think that they would go in Toronto and get the win. Uh, I, all I was hoping for was they'd be more competitive than they were the last time they played the Raptors. But uh, they, they went there and they, they did their thing. They stole it, you know. Yes, and that seriously is a steal. Um, and we can start right, right out the gate, hot in the Raptors um, game in Toronto. That was one. And if you look at the the two-game series of the Raptors and the Pelicans, two very good teams, uh, Raptors number one in the East, Pelicans are always competitive with Anthony Davis on their team, and you kind of looked at it, and obviously every Bucks fan wants the Bucks to win every game, but when you think about it, you were going to be happy with a 1-1 win-loss series on that one. Now I think it was flipped more than everybody thought it would, where we'd take a, a loss in Toronto and beat the Pelicans at home, but... What did you think about that game in Toronto? What really stuck out to you? What was a good takeaway from that? And anything bad that you saw that maybe we can work on or that you saw again in the uh, Pelicans game? I mean, you know, just, just kind of thinking back, I, I, really can't, I really can't think of anything that, that stood out that, that bothered me. Um, I think they played, you know, pretty well. I think they got to the free throw line. Uh, 27 times. I think the Raptors is also 27. So, you know, uh, I've always said, you know, even going back to last season in the playoffs, the key to beating the Raptors is, you know, at, at least matching their their free throw uh, attempt total, uh, w- in which they did. Um, you know, in the past, the Raptors have, I mean, we all know Thon Maker and, and John Henson probably combined weighed 220 pounds. So, you know, size has always been an issue, and, and you know, it's kind of one of the things that I was disappointed with in the, uh, you know, for the trade deadline that they didn't go out and, and add size. However, uh, they did out-rebound Toronto. I got the stats up here, 51 to 37, uh, and we also had 13 offensive rebounds to their five. So just think about that, 13 more opportunities, 13 second-chance points to their five. So... You know, from that standpoint, it was huge. Uh, we shot decent from long ball, 13 for 26, 50, 
Uh, they went nine for 34, 26%. So, and that's another thing, too. When you play the Raptors, you have to do what you can to limit the three-point makes uh, that, that, they, um, that, that they put through the hole. But, you know, I don't know if it was the defense, which has been ranked second in the league since Prunties took over, or I don't know if Toronto was just off, but they shot nine for 34, which was 26%. So uh, they went there. They, they did the thing. Um, like you said, any team could have a poor shooting night, but offensive rebounds, that was the Bucks, you know, working. They, they worked to get those boards. So I would say that was the difference in Toronto. Yes, and that is a big thing. Anytime we play the Raptors, because Jonas Valanciunas is such a monster, and I think quite underrated big man in the league. And whenever oh, yeah. we face him, it scares me because no matter how much I love Henson as like a guy and a, and a buck, but you know he doesn't match up always. He doesn't always match up well against you know the Andre Drummonds, the Valanciunas, um, even the Jokic's of the world. And Thon Maker, who has had a, a fairly uh, underperforming year and doesn't have the size as you mentioned already to kind of go up against that. Um, one thing I wish I would have seen was Zeller play the, in that game because I feel, I feel like he could at least match up a little bit more and bang a little bit more down low. Uh, obviously, we got the win, so I'm not going to be the one to complain at all. Uh, but overall, yes, I, I loved the rebounding. It surprised me when I saw the stat after the game because while I was watching it, I wasn't like keeping track, obviously. Uh, I don't have that kind of mind. Um, not smart enough to do that. <laughs> but it was really interesting to see that when you came out um, after the game and looked at the stats like that. But I think one thing that I, I worry about, and this is something that's been brought up, and obviously this is an overtime game, and so is the Pelicans, but Giannis's knee. And we had kind of gotten brought up prior to the All-Star game, or right after the All-Star game, where um, Giannis had talked about how his knee was kind of bothering him a little bit. He was playing too many minutes as it was, and he felt great after that eight-day rest. So coming out in this game, playing 45 minutes right after the All-Star break, and then in the Pelicans game, playing a fairly high amount. Let me pull that up quick here. It is another 40-minute game. So what do you see kind of going out of that? I mean, obviously there's not much you can do in an overtime game in a game that you kind of need that win because the East is so wide open. But what do you see going forward, and does that worry you with Giannis already complaining of knee soreness this season? Yeah, you know, at, at first I wasn't really concerned. You know, obviously everybody panicked this summer when – uh, Giannis pulled off of the, uh, the Greece team, uh, national team, because of uh, knee soreness. And uh, everybody's like, ah, oh, you know what's going on with his knee. So that was one thing I was looking at, you know, coming into the season was how they would, how they would, uh, you know, monitor his minutes, how many minutes they would give him. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I want to say that Giannis at this point of the season is playing a career high in minutes. And uh, like you said, play 45 minutes in Toronto, not really much you can do about that. That's kind of typical for uh, a superstar in an overtime game. Um, and then I think you said he had 40 minutes the other night. And, you know, I, I, I didn't think of it because I've heard some things where, you know, some people are saying Giannis is playing too much. And that's even dating back to last, the second half of last season. I remember I think he played every minute in that um, game – six lost to Toronto in the playoffs last year and I just remember how exhausted he was how exhausted he looked and that was something that came up over the summer and he said like no I'm okay with the minutes you know I want to play I want to be out there but then as you said during the all-star break we heard things you know that he said that he's playing too much so I, I, it, it, 
does concern me because, I mean, what do we have left? 23, 24 games? Yeah, something like that. The last thing, the last thing I want is for us to get to the playoffs or, you know, who knows where we're, this, the, the chips are going to stack up. But the last thing I want is for us to fight for home court advantage and all of a sudden Giannis's knees bothering him. You know what I mean? And we can't compete to, 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 to our ability. So I just hope that it's something that they monitor and they keep that in mind. Like, you know, he's got this knee issue. We got to have him fresh for the playoffs or as fresh as could be. Yeah, it is concerning, I think, to to everybody as well. And, you know, Giannis, I, Giannis and Chris Middleton did top the list for minutes played with LeBron third behind, I believe, um, prior to Jason Kidd being fired. Now, Jason Kidd was playing Giannis 40, 41 minutes a game, it seemed like, every single night in, night out. With When Prunty took over, you know, you kind of saw his minutes dip a little bit and his rotations were a little bit more... Um, consistent with Giannis playing, you know, six-minute bubbles here and there and then rest for a minute or two or whatever it is. Uh, So I think it was obviously these were two um, special games in that they went to overtime, and he was coming right out of a break. So I'm not extremely worried right now with these two games as a sole, um, you know, population to look at here. But I think moving forward, that's something that we should definitely keep an eye on. Uh, So I guess... We can kind of transition and even talk about both of them, but let's talk Pelicans because, boy, did we look good in that first half. And I think that's exactly what this game was, was a tale of two halves because we had an 18-point lead coming into the halftime and ended up losing that game. So high level, what did you like? What didn't you like? What did you see in it? Uh, anything? Well, uh, I, I, got, I mean, we obviously didn't shoot the ball as well as we did from beyond the arc as we did in Toronto. Pulling up the stats here. Uh, from beyond the stride, we were seven for twenty-five for twenty-eight um, percent. We did shoot twenty-nine free throws, and we had ninety percent of those. Uh, the Pelicans only got to the line fourteen times, so that was an advantage. Um, offensive rebounds—they were one above us, eleven to ten. Uh, Rebounding—they out-rebounded us fifty to forty-five. Not terrible. Um, I guess one thing that happened in the second half was turnovers and you know I don't know if it was just a matter of I know a lot of people on Twitter were blaming the officiating as an official myself like I don't I'm kind of biased I'm kind of an official side and yeah of course some games are poorly officiated and you can look at tons of things throughout throughout the game and you're like oh that's a travel that's a foul that's a carry and, and so on but period like long story short like you're a 17, 18 points, like, there is no excuse. You know what I mean? Um, statistical, I, I really can't point to anything that that was bad. I, like I said, I know we turned the ball over a lot more in the second half than we did in the first half. It just kind of seems like they took their foot off of the gas. And, you know, the thing that kind of upset me, and I mean, you win some, you lose some. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we lost to the Pelicans. We always play down to our talent. Like, the Pelicans, if I believe right here, I think the Pelicans had the same record as the Bucks in a more difficult conference to play in the Western Conference. But, you know, just looking at something that, that just stands out to me off of the stat sheet is Holiday going for 36 points. That's, I mean, to me, that, that was the difference right there. Uh, Holiday's a good player, but not 36 points. You know what I mean? You got to 
You, you, you can't let that happen. Anthony Davis, 27-13. Anthony Davis, that's what he's going to do. So it's like you got to keep those other people in check. Uh, Rajon Rondo, 16 points, 12 assists. That's what he does. Mirchik, 14 points, 7 rebounds. That's what he does. But Holiday, 36 points. Um, that was just, I mean, he erupted, and it was like we didn't have an answer for him. So, I mean, I like I said, I think that right there was the difference. And I think he did most of his damage in the second half. It was like they didn't have an answer for him. Yes. Well, I have a okay, couple things to touch on. I, I want to touch on from what you said there. Uh, so, Drew Holiday, let's start there because I completely agree. Like, that was a, a one-off game for him where he just was a hot hand, could not miss. You know, when I was watching them play in that second half, I was right behind their hoop. And it was like they had lockdown defense on him and he just would cash everything. And I feel like that's happened a lot this season against the Bucks, whether it was the Denver Nuggets not missing from behind the arc or the Jazz early, early in the season where Joe Ingles just had a day. Um, I feel like this is a common occurrence against the Bucks, and you're right, we did not have an answer for him on the defensive side, nor could we keep pace when it gets into a shootout like that where you're just scoring on every single possession. Um, right. One thing I did think, and I agreed with what you said, but the officiating was very poor. I can take getting bad calls, like a bad call here and there against us or the other team. And uh, But that was the second half of that game. You're right. There is no excuse, and I'm not trying to make it an excuse at all. But, boy, were some of those those calls just momentum switchers. Like, it wasn't even close to see, like, how some of those were bad. Were, like, Giannis getting it over the back when he didn't even leave the ground. It just kind of fell into his hand. And, like, them taking however long it took them to decide if, Anthony Davis touched the ball or not on that inbounding play. Um, so there was just things like that. And, you know, I don't want to make bad on the refs, but sometimes it is hard and it is, it is right in the moment. But, boy, that was just one of the more – it was one of the poorer games I've seen in a while, and I don't think it was the worst ever, and it won't be. But it was tough to watch. Um, and so one thing that I kind of brought up to you before we started recording here was some people are saying that this was kind of the worst game that Co- – uh, Prunty has ever coached or has coached so far this season. Do you put any of this on him? Uh, and how much of it do you put on him? And what what would you say that he could have done better if you do put any of the blame on the head coach? I mean, if anybody you know, listening to this follows me on Twitter, they know that I'm not a huge Steinmaker fan. Uh, he's a nice guy. Um, he's got length. But, you know, I'm disappointed on how he's regressed. Uh, from last season to this season, um, I would say starting number one, you kind of brought it up in the Raptors game, you wanted to see more Zeller. I wanted to see more Zeller that game as well as this game. You know, I saw Maker just, I thought he just struggled. Uh, he had six points and three rebounds. Like, the guy averages four points and three rebounds. Um, I mean, you look at Zeller's game log, the last couple times he's played, he's, he's playing. He, he, he makes an impact. Like, Thon Maker is out there. And I always say, like, every time I look at Thon Maker, he's always wet. He's always sweating. But you look at you look at his stats and, and you look at the what he's doing on the court, like, he's out there, but he's not. he doesn't really have an effect on the game. Um, he's not affecting the game. So, you know, I thought that we could have put Zeller in there. I thought Zeller would have had more of an impact in that game than um, – than Thon Maker did. Zeller played 11 minutes, uh, Maker 15 minutes. Zeller, two points, three rebounds. As I said, uh, Maker, 
wants to shoot the three. Like, I think the way this team is made, I mean, you've got Giannis, you've got Middleton, you've got Bledsoe. Like, you don't need any additional guys on the, on the perimeter. And I understand, like, it's cool to have a big that's uh, versatile. Like, you know, he could, he's a big guy. He could stretch the floor. But, like, I want a traditional big. Like, I love Greg Monroe. Not saying that we shouldn't have traded him. Good trade, but I love Greg Monroe. But Zeller is, is the guy that, to me, is the better fit on this team. Um, so, I mean, I, I would just say that, uh, number one. Number two, I, I don't know if you could really blame Prunty on this because who knew this game was going to go to overtime. And I know they're monitoring Jabari's minutes. Jabari played 24. I think they said they want to keep him between 20 and 25. But I thought that, and, and again, like, I, they got to listen to the medical staff. You know, this is a serious injury Jabari Parker's coming off of, especially the second one. But it's like I, I wanted to see Jabari Parker in overtime. But, again, we, we don't know what medical staff is saying. Like, you know, 25 is the max. Like, we can't go over that. But, I mean, Tony Snell is struggling. I wanted to see Jabari Parker so bad in overtime. If we have Jabari Parker out there in overtime, because to me he was scoring at will. He had 18 points, and he's, to me, doing what he wanted to do. And if he could have played in overtime or more down the stretch in the fourth quarter – I think that's the game we win. So I don't know if I blame Pronti, but maybe it's maybe maybe just maybe it's he's mismanaging those limited minutes on Jabari Parker. Just maybe. Yeah, I mean that's a good point, and I I agree with you. I don't think that there was much more Prunty really could have done. If you look at the three players that didn't play in Sean Kilpatrick, Xavier Mumford, and DJ Wilson, I don't know how much more of an impact you know Prunty could have made by rotating them in. Um, but I agree with you. Well, I'm in agreement. I'm not big on Maker. Um, I think that this season has kind of shown he doesn't really know where he fits. And I think part of it is the team because we are trying to play him at that five spot. But I think he is more of a 3-4, even at seven feet. I think he just would he would probably gel a lot better in that position. And right. you're right. He, I don't think he should be shooting threes until you know you can shoot them consistently enough granted how are you supposed to know that unless you actually do it in a game because practice is a million times different than a game so i i appreciate it but like when you airball threes like every game it gets old really quickly um so yes i like that zeller did seem to have more of an impact when he was out there he's really good at the pick and roll game and he adds a little bit of a different dimension to us because he is bigger than both henson and maker so he can kind of pose a little bit more of a presence down low. He can help, as I said, on those pick-and-roll plays and create open spots where there normally wouldn't be with Henson out there because you're not as worried about him to down low. Um, right. But, I mean, one thing I want to plug here is that I am a huge Spencer Hawes guy, and I was really mad when we let him go because I thought he was the answer to our problem, but that's fine. That's my little right. soapbox. I'll hop off. Um, but, yeah, so I agree with that. Now, Jabari's minutes was something that I had saw on Twitter and hadn't really thought about because I was always kind of like, oh, yeah, 20 minutes a game, that sounds perfect. Let's keep him healthy for the playoffs and kind of see where we go from there. And then, I don't know if it was you or somebody I saw on Twitter post, like, we should have been, like, I wanted to see Jabari late in that game. Uh, what, you know, we need to learn how to manage these minutes, spread it out more um, instead of maybe bunching them in, you know, five, you know, three, three or four minute uh, portions. But yes... I completely agree with you that if Jabari Parker is in that game, in the fourth quarter, in OT, 
I don't know if we lose that game because he did have such a presence and he does when he's on the court and he was driving in, making great plays, creating his own shots and helping his other teams and his teammates. And I just, I am very surprised and happy with the way that he has come out of this injury. He, he looks a little timid every once in a while, but then there's plays where he just blows that out of the water and he's trying to dunk on guys like just like he was when he first got out of college. So yes, I agree there too. And I really don't think you can blame Prunty any more than that. At a certain point, you're a team, you know, you're an NBA player and there's four other, there's five of you on the court. You know, you should be able to play better defense or play harder and it can't all fall on the head coach's head. Um, You know, it wasn't Jason Kidd. As you've already said in this podcast, their defense is playing up to where a lot of people believe it should be since he's taken over. And sometimes... You know, there is just a game like this where you have one guy on their team and Drew Holiday go off and you lose a heartbreaker in OT. And it was even amazing that we kept up with them in the fourth and just to get to that point. So overall, I don't necessarily agree with it being Prunty's worst coach games. I think that you could maybe look to other games, like even against the Timberwolves, where that was a rough one where we kind of just got blown out of the water. At least this one was competitive. And, you know, we did, like as you say, play well against a team that is at our level and we did not play down to them or vice versa. So I think that we kind of played at our level and unfortunately just wasn't good enough uh, on Sunday. Right. Yeah. And it was, you know, another, I was talking to somebody earlier and they were talking about Jabari Parker and how he kind of seems timid sometimes. And, you know, I just kind of put the the thought in his head and I said, Hey, think about it. You know, just from a, a business standpoint, like you just tore your ACL two times. Like if you are, uh, if you just come back, I don't know how many games, what is this, fifth or sixth game back? It's like, if you've tore your ACL two times, just from a business standpoint, like, you're probably, it's probably smart that you don't go 100%. Maybe go 80% because, you know, if you tear that ACL for the third time, you're not going to get your payday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's kind of in the back of his head, too. So, Again, like you mentioned, Jabari Parker in the playoffs. Hopefully, the minute restriction, I would imagine, it'd be gone at that point. But we've got to just keep in mind, I, you know, the Bucks fans. They after yesterday, they were standing on the ledge, and I just kind of pulled them back in. And I said, guys, you got to remember, we go to the playoffs. We have a Jabari Parker who uh, is not on the minutes restriction. You have Malcolm Brogdon back. You know what I mean? Because just think about it, like guys like Tony Snell. And let me, I got his game log up here. And I'll just go down the line. Uh, yesterday, 34 minutes, 9 points. I'll just go down the line. 17 minutes, 0 points. 34 minutes, 10 points. 31 minutes, 6 points. 27 minutes, 3 points. 30 minutes, 2 points. 18 minutes, 0 points. 31 minutes, 0 points. 35 minutes, 2 points. 29 minutes, 2 points. So we're not getting the production from Tony Snow. We got 14 points from from uh, Jason Terry on uh, Friday out in Toronto. We got zero from him yesterday. So we just got to calm down and realize that we're going to have Jabari healthy, not restricted, and we're going to have Malcolm back. And even though I don't like him, we're going to have Della Vadova. So I think heading into the playoffs, we'll be just fine. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up Tony Snell's woes of late because it has been really bad and he hasn't seemed to shot or shoot himself out of his slump. What do you see? Like, because obviously you've seen every game. Um, you know, what do you see in him? Is it just like his shooting, his shots off? Is do you think it's in his mental? Like, what is going on? Because a guy who last season was a really great off the bench and a shot uh, maker and creator, um, kind of just seems to fall back and sit on the three point line and 
chuck up a three every once in a while. Yeah, I, I, honestly, man, it's a it's a head scratcher to me. Like, I don't even I, I don't even understand. Like, uh, I, I think earlier in the season or even last season, I mean, he's like like a top ten in the he's a top ten three point shooter in the league. I mean, Grant doesn't shoot a lot of them. I think it's earlier this season. Like, he was like automatic from out there, and I don't know what it is. And it's not that he's shooting. I mean, he is shooting bad, but to me, it's more of he's passing up shots. Um, he shot nine times against the Pelicans, three times against the Raptors. It's just going down the line, 11, 7, 3, 3, 2, 4, 7, 9. So, uh, I mean, that Minnesota game, he shot one for nine, but he's not. Some games, he's not shooting a lot. I don't know if it's a confidence thing, but he's just not shooting a lot. He's passing up a lot of shots. Um, but he's not hurt. He's healthy as far as I know, so it just... It's mind-boggling to me why all of a sudden he's not hitting shots. Sometimes, and this is me playing a little bit of a devil's advocate here, because I agree that I think, you know, when we go to playoffs, we'll be fine with Brogdon out there. But when it comes to Tony Stone, do you see him starting, first of all, and maybe not shooting as much because he's being required to take on a lot more of a defensive uh, defensive edge and play more on that half of the court than he is to be worrying about creating shots and making them? I mean, I'm okay with him being, like, labeled as the quote-unquote defensive guy. That's fine because, you know, when you play hard defense, you go 200% of the defensive end, you don't have much gas on the offensive end. However, you know, with Brockton being out, with Della Vadova being out, with Jason Terry not able to score yesterday, like, you've got to give us something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I-, I get all of that, but you've got to be able to adjust to when you need to score, or you got to be able to score. Um, I... I- he has to be. I mean, Brogdon averages 13, 14 points a game. Uh, Della Vadova's maybe six. That's 20 points right there. Uh, I mean, he has to be able to score for this team to be successful right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just, because that, that's what I was thinking about when I was, when I look at Tony Snell or I see his stats, I almost see him just kind of like picking up. Brogdon's defense, the hole that Brogdon left on defense, because Brogdon is such a lockdown defender and has been known for that since college. So I kind of just, that's what I, I picture at least, or I see when I think of Tony Snell as him kind of trying to pull in all of the defense that he can hold that Brogdon would normally be doing. But then I think it is affecting his offensive edge. And I hope that's it. I hope it isn't mental. He doesn't have the yips and can't shoot anymore because that is, that is someone that we will need going into the playoffs, even if it is from just a bench perspective. Um, I'm glad you did bring up this playoff picture because this East is so bunched together right now. Just after that loss yesterday, we moved down to the sixth spot in the East. So kind of high level looking at the schedule, looking at this Bucks team, where do you see us landing? Where do you hope we land? Where do you realistically see we land in the East? And what are you going to kind of look for in that matchup that we get wherever you see us landing? I mean, it's tough. Uh, I think um, Toronto or Boston, they're going to be 1-2. They probably have flopped back and forth. Uh, I think Boston will end up with the 1-C. But, like, you look at uh, Cleveland, who's sitting in uh, third place at 35-24, and 24, 11 games over, and then you go to 4-C, you've got uh, Washington at 35-25. and 25. You have the 5th seat. 34 and 25. Then you have the Bucks in the sixth seed at 33 and uh, 26. Uh, right behind us, red hot is Philadelphia at 32 and 26. Um, then you have Miami 
31 and 29. I mean, all of these teams are so close. Uh, looking at the schedule and uh, kind of looking at, I looked at Washington's schedule, Indiana's schedule, and Philly's schedule. I think that the Bucks can move up to fifth, but that's like the absolute highest I got them going. I think fourth is, it's not out of the question, but uh, considering Brogdon, who knows when he'll be back. I think late next month or, or early April even, I think the Bucks can get to 44. I, I got them by 44 wins, and I got them in the fifth seat. So that's going to be a 4-5 matchup. And I think Washington uh, is going to stay there. Um, and, you know, some people say we don't want Cleveland. I, honestly, I'm not afraid of Cleveland. I think if anybody's going to beat Cleveland in the first round, I think the Bucks have the best shot. Potentially Philadelphia. Um, but I think it's going to be 4-5 Milwaukee-Washington. Uh, and I'm not afraid of Washington at all. I know John Wall's out. He'll be back for the playoffs. But, you know, it's not going to be pre-injury John Wall. Maybe he's winded. Maybe he's rusty. Who knows? But I like our chances if it's a 4-5 or or Washington. Yeah, that... I wouldn't be bad. I think, though... Depending on how the Wizards' schedule goes, I haven't really looked at their schedule high level, but I think that they could potentially start falling if Bradley Beal starts hitting a slump in the shooting because they don't really have much of a bench. And I do agree that I'm not scared of them in a seven-game series at all either because I think that overall our team is our team overall is better than theirs from a you know starters to bench look at it. Um, right. And they also kind of run a similar. Uh, team as we do where we kind of rely a lot on our starters and our star in Giannis and they rely a, a lot in John Wall um, the only thing that scares me about the Wizards is Marcin Gortat but I think Zeller will help alleviate some of that worry from me um, Cleveland scares me a little bit more now with their new up- upgraded or updated team um, because they are younger and they're going to really push and run the floor, which I don't know if Milwaukee responds well to because our offense is so focused on Giannis and running it kind of through the post and letting him back somebody down for a good 10 seconds in that shot clock. So when you have to be running up and down the court, that doesn't always match up well. It's kind of like the Badgers against any team, any other team really. Um, <laughs> so that one scares me a little bit more. Um, but I do like a matchup against them in seven game. I wouldn't be as worried as I would be is if we were in the fourth and the Sixers, or or even if they were in the fourth and we were in the fifth, but if we had to play the Sixers in a seven game series in the playoffs, I'd be scared because Joel Embiid is, is really good and they can match up really well against us. So a lot of of people don't like Joel Embiid. I actually love Joel Embiid. I think he's entertainment, entertaining, uh, and, and, I mean, he's just he's just skilled, you know. He just reminds me of like a like okay, you you take a guy like uh, Anthony Davis, they call him a center. Demarcus Cousins, like I always say, this is how you test it. You put Demarcus Cousins uh, in at center in, in 1995 against Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, I mean, he's not going to be a terrible player. I think maybe he'll average 13 or 14 a game. Uh, but he's not doing what he's doing now. But I think if you put Joel Embiid in 1995, I honestly think he could match up with those guys. Honestly. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because he just picked up a basketball only a few years ago before he got yep. put in the draft. Um, right. So let's let's stay on the Sixers for a second. I know I'm going to switch lanes from kind of the playoff picture to this, but something kind of happened recently related, half-related to the Bucks, in that Ursan Ilyasova is agreeing to go to the Sixers after his buyout with the Hawks is complete. 
Now, one thing I've noticed, and this has been on Bucks Twitter, uh, you know, Bucks Nation on Facebook, people are kind of wondering, is that people steering away from the Bucks and kind of seeing Philly as the place to go now where all the potential is um, and not necessarily Milwaukee? Do you think that there's kind of any validity to that in that the Sixers have now just picked up Ursan and Bellinelli by the player's choice? I mean, I, honestly, I, I think, I'm not going to say Philly's the place to go. Uh, I mean, if you look at both rosters and you put them next to each other, I mean, we've got Giannis, you know, we've got Chris Middleton, uh, Bledsoe, uh, Middle, or Middleton, Bledsoe, Giannis, Jabari Parker, four capable guys of scoring 20 points a game. Um, I'm not sure Philly has four guys that can score 20 a game. However, I think Philadelphia is a deeper team than we are. Um and then just from a, a front court standpoint, it's like you got Joel Embiid. They don't have any issues down low. And Joel Embiid erases a lot, okay? So on the perimeter, sometimes we get beat. And I've seen Henson and Maker do it time and time again is they go away from defense. And you got guys walking to the hoop for dunks and, and, uh, and layups. So from a standpoint of, you know, which team that – the guys want to go to, uh, I'm not going to say they are the team. Um, I think Ersan Ilyasova probably, I mean, even if he was considering Milwaukee, just put yourself in his shoes. I mean, what's the, the better situation for him? And I think that the better situation for him is Philadelphia. Uh, you look at Jared Bayless, who went to Philadelphia uh, a couple years ago, and I was thinking he was crazy, but, you know, he saw what was happening, and you look at the situation, I think that that was a better situation for him. Um, J.J. Reddick signed there, and it's like, what the hell is going on? And it's like, that was a good situation for him. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think it's all based on what's the better situation for that particular player. And you look at Brandon Jennings down in the G League playing for the herd now. Uh, I don't know the laws and the rules or whatever, but I know that the Bucks cannot bring him up uh, they can't sign him to a 10-day. They can't sign him to a two-way contract. The only way to get him in the Bucks uniform is signing him to an NBA contract. And there are tons of people on Twitter that want this to happen. However, put yourself in his shoes. Why is the Bucks an attractive situation to him? To me, it's not. Okay, you've got a starting point guard in Eric Bledsoe. When Brogdon come, comes back, Brogdon is the backup, who obviously also can play the two, uh, so can Bledsoe. Uh, then you got Della Vadova. So from that standpoint, if Brandon Jennings doesn't come to the Bucks, it's not like, oh, you know, people are overlooking the Bucks. It's like, no, it's, it's just not a good situation for him. So I'm not worried about that at all. That's a good take. Um, I'm both those, I would say. However, I'm one of those, I don't want anything to do with Brandon Jennings. I don't know where all this uh, BJ3 love even came from. Because I I felt like nobody liked him when he played for us because he had such a seemingly a bad attitude about the city. He was kind of a ball hog on the court, and that was also a really rough time for Bucks fans because we just weren't really good, and that was during the eighth seed or bust years, and that was a tough time to be a Bucks fan watching that. And I don't understand why anybody would want to bring him back on. Um, but I think you just laid out great points why we will not have Brennan Jennings in a Bucks uniform at least this season. Uh, but the Ursan thing. I might differ a little bit, and I think he, I mean, you could argue from an overall team perspective that Philly might be a better position for him to 
to be, you know, pointing in the direction of, you know, playoff appearances year after year and, you know, potentially a very competitive team in the playoffs. But I think if you look at it from a player's perspective, I mean, there's a hole that needs to be filled in an Ersan Ilyasova size. Like, Toledovich is, you know what I mean, another Ersan Ilyasova, another tall you know, power forward that can really space the floor, which is what Ursan would bring to the team and I think would help out a lot. And I think that him, if Ursan were, were to have come here, uh, that would have been, he would have filled that spot and he would have been almost guaranteed a good amount of minutes a game because of what he offers. Um, right. One thing I don't, that I thought of was that I wonder how much the Bucks even really tried to do it or if it was really just people talking about it because he used to play for the Bucks because if you think about it now with the trade deadline over and, you know, a lot of these buyouts happening, that's what we would have to do to clear up a spot. And I don't know who we're buying out on this team or who anybody would want to buy out. Um, because even if Toledovich were to get bought out, it has to be agreed on his terms. And, you know, personally, I think he's sitting pretty, making a good chunk of money um, to sit on that bench. So I don't know why he would ever want that. But, I mean, right. overall, that's my thought on it. Yeah, and, you know, like, it's like, and I hate to even go here because, like, you never know. But, I mean, when we signed Toledovich, I didn't think it was a good contract. But, you know, the, the, the I'll point out two contracts. Um, Toledovich and Toledovich, number one, and Dela Vadova, number two. I think those two contracts are in the way of this Bucks team being a, a top, you know, three, four team for sure in the Eastern Conference. I think that as long as those contracts are around, those are going to hold us back because we, we, we're, we're unable to go out and sign what we need. You know what I mean? We're, yes. we're, we're unable to go out and get it because you got those contracts in a way. And, and I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. When we got Dela Vadova, I was 100% on board with it. I'm like, this guy's tough. He's got playoff experience. You know, he's a hell of a defender. But Dela Vadova, just like Steinmaker, he's another guy that's out there and he, in my opinion, doesn't really have an impact on the game. Yeah, he's playing hard defense. He's frustrating the opponent. But to me, Dela Vadova is not the reason why you're going to win or lose a game. Uh, he's just out there. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And I think that you putting those contracts that way uh, describes it perfectly. Because I think that when you look at even the Henson contract, Dela Vadova's contract, Toledovich's contract, you know, with the way the CBA was trending, I understand why they were made at the time when they were made. But now it's become dead weight to us and we can't even move them for jack shit because nobody wants to take that on. As you can see by this now buyout market that we're in because of the lower cap room. And I agree that it is really hurting us from finding those key role players to round out this team. And if you're looking for ahead to this offseason, signing Jabari Parker to the deal that he wants and that every other Milwaukee fan wants him to get because they want to keep him here. So, I mean, do you see us keeping Jabari, and do you think he takes anything less than a max deal? Oh, man, that's so tough. Um, And you know what? I I, I went on record and said that even though I love Jabari Parker, and and I still love Jabari Parker, and if we keep Jabari Parker, great. But I went on record at the trade deadline, and I said I would be okay if the Bucks traded Jabari Parker. And the only reason I said that is because I said it would be a terrible situation if – because everybody's they're, – they're like, oh, he's not going to get a max. You know, somebody would be stupid to offer him a max. I mean, there's GMs and franchises that do stupid things every day. So it will be a, a complete – 
complete nightmare if Jabari Parker went into this offseason, somebody offered him a max deal, and we lost him because we couldn't keep him. Um, and that's that's kind of the worst-case scenario that I wanted to avoid by trading him, and I thought that we could have got um, you know uh, some nice pieces back. And I, obviously, if you trade a guy like Jabari Parker, you can throw in a Della Vadova. You can throw in a, a, a bad contract like Tony Snell, you know what I mean, or a yeah. just to get rid of those guys. But at the same time, I did not want to see him go. But, man, it, it'll be devastating if we lost Jabari Parker this summer because we did not max, or, 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 or I don't even know if the Bucks can afford to match um, a max offer. Um, well, if we lose him, that would and it'd be devastating. Yeah, I think they can afford it if they're willing to pay the luxury tax, which I think right. with maybe our owners, they might be willing to kind of take on that expense for, you know, it's, it's going to be really a cost-benefit analysis if you look at it to see how much it's really going to cost them to keep Jabari and what he offers us. So I think, like, obviously he's betting on himself, um, by he he was betting on himself by not you know taking a contract that he believed he wasn't worth, um, and he's really kind of showing it now that he's going to come out, he's going to play hard, and he's going to going to show the world what he's made of and what he deserves. Um, but you're right, there are franchises that will pay him the money, and I think the first one that pops into my head is the Utah Jazz because now that they've lost Gordon Hayward, they have that kind of open area of a, a star player that could be used or a you know a great player to come in and take over that. And I think I haven't looked at it, but I imagine they have a lot of cap room now that Gordon Hayward isn't there. Yeah, there there are some teams out there that they have the money, and you know the, the, the way I look at this thing is okay. Like I said, you've got Jabari Parker, you've got Chris Middleton. You've got Eric Bledsoe. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo. And it sounds great. You've got four guys who are capable at any time of going for 30 points. They, You know, 20 points on the bad night. The way I look at this thing is when you have four play, even if you, you do max Jabari out, so then do you max Eric Bledsoe out? Or what do you, what do you pay Bledsoe? Uh, then what? So... The way I look at it is if you have four players of those guys' caliber, uh, to me it's like that sends your roster out. You know, sometimes it's it's better to have three studs and then you can put more role players in place. Not saying I don't like these four guys, but to me when you have these four guys like this, it thins out your roster. And then you have a weaker bench. Opposed to if you got three of these guys in your star lineup, your bench is stronger because you can pay you can pay to, to fill it out with solid role players. Yeah, I kind of see what you mean there, though. Like, uh, oh, if you're going to give a Jabari a max, where does the buck stop? Then with, you know, oh, you're going to pay Bledsoe? How much are you going to pay him? I get that. And that's something I guess I hadn't really even thought about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you kind of look at this team and, I, I don't know, it worries me. But then you're kind of turning into the Warriors of today where they have such a great starting lineup and not necessarily the best bench, but... I, I don't, I mean, obviously, I, I don't think that, like, Bledsoe is as good as Steph Curry necessarily, but, I mean, when you kind of look at it that way, if you were to go the path that you just described, that's kind of what the team you would be looking at is. Um, but, hey, as we round out this podcast, any last couple points that you want to talk on while the mic is still on, Lamont? Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not on the ledge, man. I mean, obviously, I'm disappointed about the loss yesterday, but, you know, what happens, um... I think that, you know, a loss like this at this point of the season, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's, it's going to refocus them. It's going to focus them for down the stretch. Like, yo, we were up 18 points and we let this team come back. Like, this is not what we're going to do. This is what we did wrong. 
I think it's good to see this before we hit this crucial stretch. Um, so, I, again, I think the Bucks can get, you know, 44-45 wins, lock up the fifth seed, 5-4. Uh, no, it's not home court advantage, but it's progression. I think last year we'll worry. The sixth seed. Uh, so, you know, we are we're progressing to home court advantage. I say we move into our new arena next season. Uh, we will have home court advantage. But my question to you is, who's going to be the coach? Ooh, good question. Um, it both for I will say this: if it's not Prunty, I don't have a front runner in my head because I imagine it's somebody that's already employed somewhere. So if it's not Prunty, I think it's going to be an assistant coach. I would bet my money on somebody under Popovich. I couldn't name you anybody, but I imagine it's going to come from that lineage, as Prunty has. Um, but I honestly like Prunty. I like him as a head coach. I love his personality. I think he. He seems to be a stand-up guy. He seems to really kind of be upfront with the media. He even took a little bit of the blame after that in the press. But like just watching him on the court, he yell, like he's always up. He's standing the entire game and he's yep. fighting for his team with the refs. Not only that, but one thing that I've noticed going to games during the kid era and now in this Prunty era, I've seen a lot more communication between the players. And I don't know if that's Prunty or what that is, but I've seen a lot of more, you know, kind of setting up plays or talking to each other on the, you know, switching on defense, whatever it is, it just seems to be a lot better of a team and a lot seemingly to be a lot better of a team with Prunty as head coach. Granted, that is only over Jason Kidd, and that's not saying a whole lot, but I think Prunty keeps his job, especially if we win a playoff series, which I think we have a very good chance at doing. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page, uh, and it's like, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, everyone's saying like, oh, you know, we've got we to gotta hit a home run. We've got to have a slam dunk hire. we got to get a big name. But when people say that, right away I ask them, okay, you mentioned big name. Who? Who's the big name? And if you really think hard about it, to me, there aren't really any big names out there that I think, you know, is worth bringing in and, and changing everything that we've got going on. Uh, I, I like Pronti. I'm on the same, you know, playing field as you are, I feel the same way. It's like, if the players like them, right, mm-hmm. uh, if, if they're comfortable playing within the system, um, like you said, the communication is better, everything is looking up. Number one thing is they like them and we're progressing. If we win a playoff series, or we, I even think if we go seven, if we're not on court advantage and we go seven, I mean, to me, I think at this point, I, I mean, I like Messina from San Antonio, but if it's not Messina from San Antonio, I think Joe Prunty deserves to keep this job. I really do. I agree. And I think that the reason, like, I don't, I can't name you somebody that's going to take over a head coaching spot because I don't really know of anybody out there that's going to be better than what I've seen from Prunty so far. And I think that that's just right. a testament to, one, a guy that's been grinding it out in the coaching game for a long time. You know, he brings a lot of experience. And it's, it's going to be something that you said that it just popped in my head on the uh, – producers dive bar podcast of reading between the lines um after kid got fired in the first couple practices after with prunty there that they seemed to be a lot better of an environment and that they seem to be happier and almost smiling more whether that is just marketing from the bucks team but i i mean i don't know i think that that's what it is and i, I agree with you but i don't know what the seven game series i don't know if that guarantees him if we go seven but i think that does help him and kind of give him a leg up against any other prospect you don't have to give him a long-term deal. You can give him a, a one-year, you know, one-year deal, two-year deal. You know, you don't have to 
go out and sign Prunchy to a five-year deal, you know, give him some short-term, you know, low-risk, high-reward. Uh, but I, I definitely think Joe Prunty is, is a good coach. You know, like you said, he was up under Popovich, and he's been around for a long time. He obviously knows what he's doing. I think he likes it here. And, you know, he's never had this opportunity, and I, I think he's doing a great job. I agree. I agree. Um, my last thing before we kind of uh, close this up is shout out to Rashad Vaughn for finally being on an NBA team again, um, if only for a little <laughs> while. He's back on the Magic with his boy John Hammond who drafted him, so I imagine uh, that that's part of it. But shout out to him. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully he can uh, sure, sure. get in the dance circle uh, at those games. Um, all, right, all right, Lamont, where can everybody find you on social? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter, uh, L F S and J, L as in Larry, F as in Frank, N as in Nancy, S as in Sam, J as in Jerry, L F F and J. All right, and you can also check him out on the podcast that I referenced, Producers Dive Bar Podcast. It was him, Sith Lord, and Jeff Orlovsky. It was a really good one. I enjoyed it. Um, it was fun to listen to. You guys had a great conversation. Uh, it seemed to get a little off the rails there for a little while, but I mean, hey, that's that'll happen with Sith around. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and I'm at Jakubitz on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Um, the podcast is at Bucks underscore Radio. Find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review if you would so please. Um, otherwise, let's go Bucks. We play the Wizards at home tomorrow, so let's get a big W against them. Have a great week, everybody. Cheers.